0: I was reading this article in The Hustle today, and they were talking about the underrated part of the internet, which are niche streaming services. Let me share some of these with you. Broadway HD. What do you think that that is streaming? I would assume theater or like Broadway shows, that kind of thing. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Shutter. It's actually Shudder
1: with two Ds. Horror. Crunchyroll. Oh, wow. Is it all uh, sushi-related content?
0: <laughs> Close! It's Japanese anime and manga. So it made me wonder, Reed, if you were going to take part of this new exploding economy, what would your niche streaming service be?
1: I would probably just have it alternate back and forth between This Old House and Bob Ross. What would you call it? Spackle Paint.
2: Welcome to Touchpoint, A podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physicians' practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We
1: hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to Touchpoint. Thank you for tuning back in, or if it's your first time, welcome for well the first time. I am Reed Smith. That is Chris Boyer. Hey, Reed, nice to be here. We're in the middle of November, but the
0: weather outside doesn't feel like it, does it?
1: No, I uh, just turned the air conditioning back on. Matter of fact, that's where we are. Well, it's 2020. That's where yeah, I was going to say I don't know that it's really all that shocking that anything of any sort happens anymore. But yeah, here we are, episode 197. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. If you'd like to learn more about our show or the other ones on the Touchpoint Network, if you didn't know, there is a Touchpoint Network. We've got tons of shows. You can find out more about them over at touchpoint.health. touchpoint.health is the website. You can dig into the show notes, find the links and all that kind of fun stuff for this particular episode, all our past episodes, and then all the other shows on the network. Also, rate, review, subscribe wherever you happen to be listening. That is uh, a super, super helpful way that we can ensure that other folks also find the show. So we will take a quick pause and be right back with uh, today's episode.
0: And build a reputation that performs for you. So Reed, today I'm excited that we're going to be talking a little bit about how we can use all the tools in our toolkit to help health systems do their outreach to physicians. It really stems from an interview that we're going to run later on in the show with Scott Alexander. It made me think that in today's day and age, when you're doing physician outreach, your world is in a whole nother place because of the pandemic.
1: Yeah, everything's in a whole nother place, certainly. The way consum and we've talked a lot about this over the recent weeks and now months, you know, I keep saying over the last six months, and I've been saying that for months now. so, I'm going to, have to do math again, but I think we're probably like more like nine months into this. But in any case, everything's different. And you know, the way consumers interact with this, which we've talked a lot about. but I think what's really interesting is those that are on the other side of the virtual and telehealth and those types of things with the physicians and communicating with and engaging and and making sure that, you know, those assets and parts of the organization, if you will, are uh, tightly aligned and uh, feel supported is is really important. I, I think that's
0: sort of the spirit of what, how we can use the tools, these digital tools that we are so familiar with to help Various different strategies. I've always said great digital experiences are created around the customers that you're engaging with. Well, if you consider your referring physicians and those physicians that you engage in your outreach as another audience or another customer type, it's very simple to use all the tools in our toolkit to kind of develop experiences for them as well. Because they're People too.
1: They are people as well, uh, which is great. You know, we haven't gotten too far down the uh, AI, AR track uh, just yet, but we're going to focus on the live and in person folks. And uh, we're going to start out with an article, uh, Chris, that you found uh, from the advisory board eight imperatives. Imperatives is a strong word. Eight imperatives for physician outreach during COVID 19 and beyond. And beyond, everything's always and beyond. So. Yeah, and this is not just about, although it includes your physician outreach or physician liaisons and you know some of those types of people. Certainly, it probably hits closer to home for for some of them than, than maybe other parts of the organization. But it's you know great tactics to think of. Uh, and you could probably, to some extent, uh, fill in any stakeholder here. But we'll, we'll uh, kind of hone in on the physician audience. So they say
0: here, though, that the teams have to, those physician outreach teams now have to leverage or or not leverage, but they have to modify their roles and responsibilities to address this current state. No longer can they go around to doctor's offices and kind of circle around and shake hands with them and introduce their services. We're in a whole nother world where we have to look at the pandemic and look at how that affects this uh, growth, this outreach and growth that we do. And so they list here eight imperatives, as the title says, that should be embraced.
1: And the first one they talk about really kind of focuses in on uh, over-communications. And so specifically around safety guidelines, you know, any sort of uh, altered operating protocols, uh, certainly, and response-based developments to COVID. Physician liaisons have the opportunity to serve and kind of be that conduit, certainly, uh, and that source of truth, they say. So they need to be you know, equipped, up to date on, on everything that's going on about visitors policies. For example, I see a lot of that stuff coming through on like our clients' you know, Facebook pages, for example. Um, what the testing, screening, uh, all that kind of piece, what those pieces look like. And then obviously, certainly, as we've talked about, the start and stop and start and stop of uh, like elective procedures or non, non-essential non or non-emergent type uh, care.
0: Yeah. And as those things change so frequently, it becomes ever so critical. And in addition, though, leveraging into the second piece, which is very much related, they actually say one of the imperatives is to support care continuity efforts. They go on to further explain that some organizations consider repostponing scheduled services, which I know a lot of health systems are right now. It will be important for these liaisons to actively communicate changing hours of operations, service availability, but also getting into uh, sharing other ways that Health systems are trying to continue to communicate with the patients. So, being active promoters of telehealth options, informing practices about how urgent care referrals will be handled despite this reduced capacity. And I could see that even going into the testing space because many health systems are now getting into the testing world.
1: The third one they have listed here is uh, to expand outreach targets beyond the traditional loyalist. You know, it's easy, certainly. To uh, make the phone calls and stop by and see the folks that like you and deal with the folks that like you or uh, even focus in on things like top referral sources. I think we have an opportunity because you've got you've got a new way and a new opportunity to go back and kind of establish communications. Quite honestly, with uh, with some of the others, you know, you have kind of a reason to to reach out and try to help. So consider using that time. You know, we're, we're not traveling, we're not having in person meetings. So you know, think about and identify who you know, who potentially could we reach out to. How can we help them? Uh, you know, using this chance to update them as, as the region you're initially reaching out, but certainly uh, an opportunity to try to build those relationships. You know, and if you're a community provider that maybe split the referrals
0: between multiple health systems, just by doing that reach out and connecting with them can help to sway that influence of how they're referring patients to your health system. They even double down on it with the fourth recommendation where they say is it's also a great time to collect new market intelligence to support a more effective outreach for not only now, but also in the future. Mm. So whenever you're reaching out to some of these new practices or, you know, people that maybe you haven't talked to in a while, learn what their preferences are. Learn about their business. Learn their preferred modes and, and frequency of communication. And also, you know, how are they addressing COVID? How are they, or maybe using telehealth, you know, what are they doing to deal with the capacity issues that we're all struggling with? And then use this information to log it into some sort of a relationship management platform. Because not only will these changes be important very right now, they're going to be important in the future too. Because as we talked about before, Reed, right? We're going to be pivoting into a hybrid world in the future. And so all of those, those preferences and needs are going to carry on into the newer state.
1: I mean, just like it is with consumers, right? I mean. We had an opportunity to re-engage certain parts of the population around the services and offerings that we have. And that is now their new preference. And so this is this is much the same. Uh, the fifth one on the list, uh, hosts virtual events and meetings. So again, back to the idea of you know outreach beyond those traditional loyalists. We've got an opportunity. Everybody's used to it and expecting it. So what can that look like? So we're not going to go meet with them in person uh, and some of those types of things, but you know, we've had—I know as a firm—we've had different uh, things with our clients around kind of happy hour type stuff. And people are used to doing webinars, but you know, think about new ways that you can present and, and even have not just meetings, but uh, like CME type offerings and, and things like that. I think again, it's an opportunity that's not going to feel out of the norm. And do it all online,
0: right? Using Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whatever it might be, those could be great ways where you can actually have those connections. And by the way, you could be able to do those maybe during off hours even, because for the physicians themselves that you're reaching out to, they also have direct capabilities or access to these tools. Here's another thing, right? Number six, we're in the list now, six of eight. It says to fulfill non-traditional job functions related to COVID-19 response and recovery. It's interesting, this this uh, point here. They say that liaisons can help develop surge and recovery plans by tracking any bottlenecks for volume recovery And also identifying physicians who can flex to perform tasks such as managing ventilators or maybe being available to cover a shift or something like that. This is a really great ability for uh, liaisons to be a more strategic role because, again, we're all struggling with – now we're getting into another huge surge across the country – we're all struggling with how we're going to respond to this crisis. In addition, they say liaisons can be a valuable asset for supporting some essential functions with heightened demand, such as, for example, welcoming and screening patients or even staffing a call center. Imagine that now. You're redeploying from your physician liaison role to maybe even supporting directly patients. It's an interesting perspective on that. How do you think people would feel about that?
1: You know, it's interesting, just th- just this uh, point number six in general about the non-traditional job functions. Because again, I don't think it's like, well, you know, do we fill those roles? Uh, is this going away? You know, that kind of thing. Again, I think we've altered the state enough that they're not going to have the word COVID in their job title. Uh, <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't, I hope not. I wouldn't think. <laughs> but this type, these types of roles may be needed at this point. It's just the way we're doing business is evolving and changing to the point that that it may offer some opportunity. You know, I think about it a lot where, you know, I can think, you know, I don't know, 10 years ago when we all started doing social media, right? They had to find people that would focus and do that. I didn't go to school for that. Like there wasn't such a thing, right? So I think this is, again, it kind of gives birth to the opportunity. To have expertise and create knowledge and insight into areas that historically didn't exist in some cases. Number seven on the list, work with leadership to reset growth goals. I, I think certainly everybody's doing this in some way, shape, or form. But the idea of thinking through: okay, where do we stand? What has you know the last nine months done to us? Do we need to level set? Do we need to rethink? Um, do we need to change up, you know, what our goals are for the remainder of the year? And you know, for some folks, that's a calendar year, some, you know, fiscal year maybe like next June or something by the time it's over. But and so what does that mean for next year's budgeting and and really playing a role in thinking through what's going to be needed in outreach in connection and technology and those types of things that are gonna allow us to better build those relationships with the folks that historically, like we said before, are not the loyalist. you know we have an opportunity and a role that we can play in the ideation of that. And I think the last eighth imperative here is
0: one that continues to be the primary role of what a physician liaison or outreach team is. and they, they call it continuing to serve as practices, problem solver in chief. And really here, it's, it's really getting to understand those practices, right? And finding out what issues are limiting their ability to operate at full capacity and look for ways to help resolve those issues with whatever the health system can provide. And it's interesting because they brought up an example in this uh, article that I thought was really interesting. It says that health systems may be able to help practices purchase PPE, for example, mm. at acceptable price points and develop protocols that address patients' anxieties about the safety of healthcare settings. So imagine that. Now your health system is seeing as a strategic advisor to these practices and building a better relationship with them. It's always about learning the concerns about the physicians and the safety of performing those procedures. That becomes very important, but ultimately it's about being able to understand their problems and communicating those concerns to the leadership, which reminds me a little bit of like when we say the marketer's role should be moving forward should be to be the owner of understanding your customer's needs and trying to solve those needs. So in effect, physician liaisons, read are
1: are the friction busters for referring physicians. Do you see a lot of difference in the way that are the needs of employed versus affiliated or community physicians in this world? You know, the employed physicians, I think, are, I feel like uh, in a lot of cases, and I'm trying not to make blanket. Generalizations, but you know they're part of a system and they're kind of playing a role within the system. Whereas, like an affiliated doctor or you know a community physician is a you know private business owner or or what have you, mm-hmm. and they may need uh, some more help because they're not like inside the walls and don't have the connection that maybe some of the other ones do. So, I mean, that may be some of the outreach opportunity is reaching out to some of those groups. And even individuals sometimes that really need the help. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, well,
0: Reid, why don't we do this? Why don't we come back after the break and we'll talk a little bit about how you and I in our past working in digital and health systems, how we use digital as a way of outreach. And we can kind of maybe cross-reference that with some of the shifting changes of using digital marketing in our industry as well. And we'll do that right after this break. Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media.
1: All right. So we've, we've talked a little bit about just physician outreach uh, in, in general and kind of how that's evolving or maybe the need for it or the execution of it is maybe changing or has changed. We're going to dig a little bit more now into uh, what that means from the digital standpoint and kind of how that relates to some of the things that we've done in our past and, and some of the things that we're thinking about.
0: Let's start with first our experiences. Using digital in outreach coming in as a digital marketer, both like inside, as well as an external uh, consultant in my world, I've often been asked to participate in physician outreach activities, but oftentimes, you know, it's in a very limited capacity. So let's say for example, the physician outreach team may purchased a list of, physicians, physician names across, you know, our service area. And they come to me and they say, well, can you help us craft the right email and and get this out and use this the right way? What's your experience been like?
1: Most of the physician liaisons, outreach type folks and things like that, you know, are looking for um, more in-person than online connections in, in a lot of historically speaking, right? So it's a lot of lunches. The lunch and learn type stuff, and and even as it relates to like grand rounds and other like CME related activities, and then it's a lot of just pushing out of information, you know, to those practices and those individual physicians. And then I think on the the back side of it, you know, you're you're getting asked to solve problems, so it's kind of a customer service lifeline kind of a thing. And so as you think about digital. You know, we've talked about portals. We've talked about a number of different things, and I think that's kind of where the majority of it is. You know, is is the email and, and portal based you know communication. And we've said this before, right? That um, oftentimes it's like we want to reach our doctors
0: via emails, and I've even seen some studies that come back and say emails are the best way to reach doctors. But in my real life experience, I don't find that to be true. I mean, I don't know how many doctors actually check their emails for outreach types of communications from health systems.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think it works as it relates to if you're working with them on a project and as some sort of an update on the project, right? Like that works obviously as well as it does for anybody else via email. But if it's just... Uh, and I hate to say cold calling, but but you know what I mean? If it's just we're we're reaching out or trying to provide information, I, I don't know. I'm not sure that that is. And quite honestly, it's hard to find their email addresses sometimes, you know, uh, unless they're employed and they have a system email address or something. But, you know, when you're just trying to send something to some Gmail account or something, that seems to work because obviously you're getting to, you know, there's less, less noise there. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's, you know, I don't know that it's been... Terribly effective. What you're describing, and in my mind, I keep
0: thinking like replacing the word physician with patient. It's the same thing, right? If you're sending them something that's of value to them, that's relevant to them, that maybe serves a purpose or has utility for them, that's a much easier request, then if you send something that says, you know, we have this webinar that we'd like for you to come to that may or may not be relevant to you, right? Or we want to share with you all the capabilities of our transplant team, or so to speak, that's going to have about the same effect if you do that to potentially patients that also are not getting that utility from it.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's very similarities. I mean, this stakeholder communication, right? Like, I think you kind of have to do it all. It's just that where we are now has limited the in-person portion of all, right of that of that equation. Certainly we have to find other ways. and, and of course, we're, we're working with several systems around collaboration tools. And some of that is, and we've talked about this historically, right? Like the secure text messaging or things that are the collaboration sense like a Yammer or Slack or Microsoft teams. Uh, there's other ones out there that are very specific to doctors. And so I think you'll start seeing more of that. And again, much like the telehealth or virtual care side, it turns out that people are going to like it and, you know, a fair amount of them will probably keep using them.
0: But let me ask you this, Reed: Have you ever been asked to do a digital marketing campaign to reach doctors or maybe a social media push?
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and I usually try to you know push people back towards you know for what and how do we measure it and all, all those types of things. But I think there are some platforms. Certainly, you go to something like a Doximity uh, or even Twitter, for example, where you find more physicians participating in, in the community, if you will, um, it is it is a real opportunity uh, to push content in front of them that way. It's interesting.
0: Later on today, we're going to be, um, in in the interview that's coming up in just a moment here, we're going to actually go into, we're going to speak with Scott Alexander, who talks a little bit about how he's actually used some of the more traditional digital outreach efforts. But why don't we, before we get there, why don't we talk a little bit about the state of digital marketing changing in our industry and see how this can kind of align with our physician outreach. And we're going to go back to a study that was done just recently by our good friends of the show, Binary Fountain. And yes. it was about how COVID-19 is shifting priorities for healthcare marketers. They asked healthcare marketers how they're using digital now as a way to do outreach. Again, this is primarily to patients in this particular case. But there are some interesting findings. And let's, when we read the findings, let's kind of align it to the physician audience. They first say here that both email marketing and content marketing have decreased sharply. Think about that we were just talking about, like, creating good content for our physicians through, like, maybe uh, c and or, or whatever, or even doing email marketing outreach. But at the same time in the marketing, the digital marketing suite, they're starting to do that less frequently.
1: Yes, yeah, interesting. I mean, you, you would think that kind of stuff is going up. Now, email, uh, email I get, maybe everybody's getting too much email or, you know, that kind of thing. But content marketing... I wonder if it's a bandwidth scenario, right? Or it's just like, there's only so many, you know, the net sum doesn't change. So, you know, you got to divide your time up somehow. They also talk about online directory listings uh, climbed to the second most important initiative. And, and, and I think that's interesting because I think we saw like, and I'll talk about Google, for example, they added some features and functionality there, right? Where you could add secondary URLs to your listing for like COVID or virtual care. And so I think it became probably a real thing where it was like, listen, we, we've got to jump out there and make sure that when people are looking online, that they can, they can connect with us in the way that they want, right? Not just navigating to our website or calling us. Let's go ahead and uh, cut to the chase and provide them the URL for virtual care, for example, or our uh, COVID uh, information or policy.
0: You know, I'm also thinking too if online directory listings that's an important piece right to connect better with physicians. I wonder if physician liaisons are in a role where they can actually help maybe counsel the referring physician practices about how to update their online directory listings better. That might be an opportunity here. Sure for some of more of those more digital savvy outreach folks to think about because I think that be, you're you're right. We want to make those tools much easier. Uh, they also say here paid advertising has decreased in response to COVID. And we've seen this go up and down and up and down and up and down this year. At least I've seen that, right? And where we're focusing more on maybe less on, on driving people to specific services that are non-essential, but absolutely promoting things that are are essential and maybe even safer, right? Like telehealth services, primary care, urgent care, that sort of thing. And keeping them engaged with the care is appropriate,
1: yeah, I mean, obviously we've seen the up and down a lot of you know because, like you mentioned, um, and like we talked about earlier, even about uh, the essential services or non-emergent stuff, you know, on-off, on-off kind of a thing. So it was like shut it all down, and, oh no, we got to get it all back, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Yeah, right? Yeah, We're trying to we're trying to dictate volume uh, through advertising, you know, or what have you. I do think um, certainly there, there is an opportunity to, again, put the critical information in front of the physicians uh, when they need it. And you may have to use paid to do that, but kind of back to the idea that um, you know providing them resources and, and, and stuff that they can actually use, quite honestly, to navigate this space.
0: Which kind of leads to one of the last points here that came out of the study, which I think is applicable to uh, physician outreach too, is that while spending cuts across the board have happened and kind of impacted some of these paid outreaches, the value of transparency and communications with staff, contractors, vendors, and physicians has increased. So it's almost like, well, we can't really use advertising as a way to reach out to people. But if we have a relationship with people, we need to value that communication and over communicate with them, which kind of brings us full circle, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it really does. I mean, if you look at the breakdown on the chart, obviously, the pre-COVID, during COVID, like, you know, what are you doing kind of chart, uh, this part of this article, Number, number one is crisis, which I could almost throw out because obviously that's being, it's very much dictated by where we are, you know, it's not like it's a new thing. It's just a volume like we we're doing more of it because of where we stand. And so all the other stuff that you look at here though about, you know, the increased focus on uh, directories you know, and some of the other things like SEO optimization, again, it's trying to get people to find, find the right thing. And email marketing and content marketing are still pretty high, honestly, even post. And so I think we've got an opportunity to, to reach out and connect uh, with physicians. Uh, and it becomes more of a content play about why are we reaching out to them? How are we resourcing and helping them where they are today? Which leads us to the interview,
0: that uh, a really great interview. I got a chance to sit down with Scott Alexander from Jaris Marketing, and he actually shares and outlines, read ways that he's working with organizations to actually leverage advertising in an effective way to reach out to physicians during this pandemic. And it's a really fascinating conversation. And we'll go to that right after this break, and then we'll come back to close out the show. welcome back to the ask the expert segment of the podcast and today i am talking with someone that i just recently got to know but after our first couple of conversations i feel like i've known you for a very long time and that's scott alexander welcome
2: to the show thanks chris i appreciate it and uh it's kind of neat uh, you you know uh, i listen to the podcast when i'm out running and uh so it's neat to actually have gotten to know you and and to get to have a conversation
0: that's actually great that's awesome
2: and the reason why i feel
0: like you and i are kind of aligned we're we're like-minded in some of our thinking and i'm excited to get into the topic today at hand but before we do there may be people that are listening just like you were you know running around jogging that uh do not know who you are would you mind sharing a little bit of
2: your background yeah, great. And I, I think it's very kind for you to say that I'm jogging. I, I like to think of it more as um, just trying not to fall into a ditch as I'm <laughs> sputtering down the roads of, uh, of St. Louis. Uh, I'm Scott Alexander. Uh, I run um, a pair of sister companies. One is called iVelocity Marketing, which does uh, direct to patient marketing on behalf of healthcare providers. And then the other organization that we have is called Gyrus Micro Marketing, and it markets typically medical devices, but also medical services, uh, healthcare IT, that sort of thing, to uh, healthcare decision makers, primarily physicians, but also, you know, different parts of you know, health systems and, and other healthcare providers.
0: And when we first met and we started talking a little bit about what you do and your organization, one of the things that you brought up is uh, when we were talking about using digital to kind of reach out to physicians and to healthcare professionals, you, you kind of alluded to the fact that doctors are people too, in that they respond to digital ads as well as you know, in digital advertising, digital marketing, those sorts of things, and that kind of resonated with me because I've always felt that way, and and so I I couldn't wait to get you on the show to talk about that concept. So when you say doctors are people too, uh, explain that to the people in the audience. What do you mean exactly by that?
2: Yeah, it, it's a great question, Chris, and I'll give you a little background because it'll make a little bit more sense in context. I spent nine years at Medtronic, you know, the large medical device manufacturer, and then. Uh, later, four years at the Mercy Health System uh, here in St. Louis. And one of the roles that I had when I was at Medtronic was I ran a group called Commercial Innovations. And essentially what it was, was an incubator to answer the question of how is the sales process changing as technology is coming in? And basically, you know the division that I was a part of would, would go up against Johnson & Johnson every day. And the question became, how do we make sure that we win every time we have a sales opportunity? one of the things that I had done or my team did we, we spent a lot of time studying design thinking and these kinds of approaches to how do you really get inside the heads of your customers and then we hopped on airplanes and we flew all over the country uh, following sales reps around talking to physicians and uh, surgeons primarily to understand what is it how do they think so that we can design technology to you know to basically you know win more deals uh, I remember being in a boardroom, and bringing up this story, you know, my, my boss has asked me, like, so what have you learned and that sort of thing? And the only thing that came to mind was, you know, doctors are people too. What that means is if we think about the context when we're reaching out to a physician, and I'm just going to stick on the medical device side, but it, it'll make sense to our audience who's, you know, on the provider side just as well. We have Randy, the rep, who is highly compensated, highly motivated and super engaged, probably drinks a lot of coffee. And what's the sales situation and he finds himself in when he has a new product that he, wants to, that he wants to talk about? He's in the OR. He sees Dr. Smith over there in the scrub sink. He runs over to her and is like, Dr. Smith, hey, I wanted to show you this widget, whatever that widget is. And you can always see it on her face. Like she's excited to see it. She's kind of curious because you know, physicians always have that level of curiosity that just never gets turned off, which is great. But you can also tell that she's getting ready for a surgical case. And she wants to think about what she's going to do with this, you know, 56-year-old woman who's got ovarian cancer. And she wants to think about that and and how she gets her head into that game, as opposed to thinking about, you know, this new device or whatever the case might be. And so what we realized was that's the wrong time to be trying to get in touch with an individual, a physician or, or other healthcare professional, because their mind is in a different place. And, you know, it's no wonder that you know, we see adoption of new technologies or new approaches, new new solutions to be as slow as it is in healthcare is because the times when we're bringing them to folks is exactly the wrong time to do it. Instead, what we've started to do, and this is a lot of what we do in my group, is we reach out to you know, physicians when they're more relaxed, right, on Facebook, on uh, LinkedIn, on Twitter, when they're, you know, checking their email, when they're going to ESPN to check the scores of the baseball game, those are times when we're able to talk to doctors as humans because doctors are people too. And what we find is there's a level of receptivity that far surpasses that scrub sink conversation and actually allows physicians to be in the driver's seat for a lot of these conversations. That's kind of the hallmark of what we do. And that that sort of golden moment that we had, oh gosh, that was several years ago, but but is still very much one of the guiding factors for how we do what we do. Okay. So that's
0: interesting to me, Scott, because when I have worked in health systems for many years now, whenever we talk about digital advertising and we talk about, you know, even using any kind of like outbound digital marketing efforts to reach this physician audience, so to speak, there is a lot of bias and, and that might, I'm not sure how that, where that bias comes from, but a lot of pushback saying, you know, doctors don't respond to ads. They don't You know, they don't respond to emails. That's not how you're going to get their attention. You have to build sort of this trusted relationship. Where do you think that bias comes from? And and how have you seen that change in the work that you're doing?
2: I I think that there's some validity to the idea that digital is, and I would agree with this, digital is not going to replace the face-to-face conversations of, um, you know, getting to know somebody and building that, that deep rapport. It's never going to replace that, but it's really not supposed to. Right, where it really kind of fits in is in that introductory phase, or in an educational phase that can be automated. And this is my case in you know case in point about it does work. We had a client uh, that was, and again, this is a medical device client, but we can transfer it over to sort of the provider side uh, here in just a second. A client of ours in the cardiology space, and they were they have a product in market they wanted to drive some opportunities. Uh, this was. In the middle of COVID, like as COVID was hitting, we were going live with this. And so when we're running campaigns, we like to turn them on and get them approved by the social media channel before we have like an official like grand opening launch. And so what we do is we turn them on at like 10 o'clock at night and it gets through the approval process. And then you turn them off at 8 a.m. the next morning or whenever you get up. Essentially what happened was, so I did that with a couple of channels and I woke up the next morning and we actually already had leads. From basically 10 o'clock at night until like 8 a.m. the next morning, we had like four or five cardiologists who saw these ads that usually nobody sees. And they all asked for sales demos. It was an odd conversation. If I had to go to the client, I had to say, look, I know we haven't launched yet, but here's what we do. And I've never had this happen before. But but, these cardiologists are asking for you to call them. Can you give them a call? That to me was was really when I realized that particularly now, right, sort of post-March 16th when everything changed in the U.S., particularly now, this is not just uh, a tolerable channel for communication. This is a desirable channel for communication. We're not making face-to-face you know, conversations anymore, unfortunately, right? We're going through Zoom and that sort of thing. And so people are, are getting more comfortable with this digital approach. And really, again, it's about understanding that this is not – This is not intended to replace those kinds of deep-seated relationships, but they are intended to initiate them and to help to augment them with things that don't require somebody to come in and do it. The other thing, Chris, we have a younger audience that is very quickly becoming the main body of physicians that we see, right? And so if you think about Facebook initially came out in the, the late 90s. You know, I graduated from college in 2001 and it was, it was already at you know, the uh, University of Georgia. So you know the reality is this has been around for almost all of my adult life. And as a 41 year old guy, if I was a physician, I would be you know, sort of getting into the, the meat of my career. And I'll tell you the fastest areas of, or the fastest groups uh, of adoption in terms of you know who's, who's adopting platforms like Facebook and Twitter the fastest, it's actually the older populations. So, you know, guys like us, we've already adopted it, right? But you know, my parents, my dad is a physician, and he's not on Facebook, but my mom is, right? And, you know, folks, my parents' age are on Facebook at a higher and higher rate. And so this idea that you can't go to them, it's just not true. It's just, it's just based in, you know, the way that things were back, you know, years and years ago. And if we think about where we are today, we're all online. We're all on Zoom calls. We're all checking our emails 60 times a day, right? And, and we respond to these messages. I would encourage folks that have that mentality that this isn't going to be appropriate or this isn't going to be a good channel for communication to re-examine why they think that and, and just test it out, right? Put it to the test. If you want to go and talk about referral channel development, which is a great opportunity to use digital for a first step, think about what do you do and how do you do it cheaply to, to see for yourself this does actually work as you talk
0: about this in the back of my mind, I'm using digital marketing concepts to kind of frame this because in part, what you're saying is a understand who your audience is, that your persona, right. Um, and that in this case is visit, phys- or physicians, right. Medical professionals. And secondly, B understand how and when they use these channels in the right way to message them at the right time. Basically what you're doing is you're, you're, you're indicating that, digital outreach channels facebook social media email whatever it might be can be applicable at the right time using the right type of message
2: as long as you understand that journey more yeah that's exactly right for for folks to di- to to divide digital marketing from marketing that's an old you know not to insult anybody but but that's thinking that would have worked like 10 15 years ago but if you look at companies today and let's step outside of healthcare and let's focus more on, you know, consumer packaged goods. You start thinking about other, you know, retail organizations. There's a tremendous investment in digital marketing because it is marketing, and you know, I think you hit on a great point, which is it's about the buyer's journey or the customer journey, whatever term you want to use. So, yeah, I mean, if you wanted to do this, you know, it all starts with what's the objective that you have in mind. And, you know, do I want to build my referral channel, referral channels in a certain area? Do I, right? Do I have a service that I want, you know, want to make the public aware, whatever it looks like. The reality is you want to start with what that, what that goal looks like. What's the objective? And then figure out what do you need to do to get somebody there? And, you know, like we were saying, some of those things will be, will require a face-to-face conversation. But a lot of this stuff is going to be easily executable through channels like email like Facebook like Twitter like LinkedIn like banner ads that people see on espn.com and cnn.com and that sort of thing um, right there's there's all this all these different tools that are, are available for us to use and other industries have adopted this you know this approach like 10 years ago so we're really just catching up it's not that we're breaking new ground we're just catching
0: up and we're using these channels to address a different type of audience, right? Or different type of customers, so to speak. As you said, like using ESPN and other kind of more entertainment sites. I know a lot of times when we think about digital, digital outreach, um, and personas, we we naturally thinking about physicians. They only spend their time on clinical related websites and things like that. That's not true, right? I mean,
2: because again, physicians are people too, right? Yep, doctors are people too. I've got a good friend of mine. He's a uh, primary care doc down in Arkansas. He loves Arkansas football, right? So he loves college football, loves Arkansas. Do you mean to tell me that he's never getting on ESPN.com to see how the Razorbacks are doing? No, of course not. Like, this is this is who he is. He's a human being, and for us to think about this idea that you you know physicians go to medical school and when they walk across the stage and they get their diploma. Uh, Right. They lose their first name and they get a new one called doctor and they, you know, get an MD at the back and then they like suck their personality out. Like that's not that's not reality. Reality is doctors are people, too. They're going to react to these kinds of outreach channels. And we know it because we see it all the time. As a healthcare marketer, you know, we need to understand who our customer is. And certainly if we're talking to thoracic surgeons, right, they have a cardiothoracic surgeons have a certain volume of knowledge and we have to respect that. But we also have to respect that there's a human being that's carrying that knowledge around. And, you know, one of the things that we see in practice, right, because I'm a pretty tactical guy, I'm like what's it going to be and how are we going to get there? What's the answer look like? What we know is that cardiothoracic surgeon never stops being a cardiothoracic surgeon. He also never stops being a human being. And so what are they doing? You know, what is that cardiothoracic surgeon doing nights and weekends? They're probably reading white papers, right? They're probably studying up on their craft, but, but they're doing so while they're also watching a baseball game or hanging out at their kid's soccer match or whatever. I mean, we need to not lose sight of the fact that companies that have way bigger marketing budgets than anybody that we know does utilize these kinds of platforms to reach out to these same exact people to talk to them about, Hey, you should buy a BMW. Hey, you should get a Coke for your kids, right? That, that, that stuff works because we know, we know human psychology. And so I feel like uh, as folks that have grown up in an industry where, you know, physicians are held on a pedestal, we certainly need to respect everything that they've done and, um and, and, you know, want to pay, pay honor to that. But we also need to understand that they're human beings that can be approached in ways that, uh, allow us to drive good, meaningful conversations and drive progress by utilizing channels that you know we, we may not traditionally think about.
0: And you're not suggesting that you know they use Facebook as a way to say you know as a, to render up an ad that says, "Oh, you can refer your organ transplant patient here." I mean, it's a different type of messaging that you're using to kind of get them into. Maybe the engagement fund or get them down a certain part of the journey, right? I mean, we're not talking about just overt ads like, you know, consumer package goods do.
2: I wouldn't say that, but um, I would say <laughs> more like <it> would, <laughs> what's going to take is get some organs our way. So we're not going to do that. I think about it in, in terms of a framework. Let's let's take organ transplants. So this is like pretty far afield, right? I think there's probably some people who are like, how on earth do you, do you make this connection? How do you use Facebook for organ transplants? I would give people, first of all, I give you a, a framework, right? So there are actually two frameworks that we think about. The first is this idea of who's your targets probably a better way to say it. So number one is your, your current and previous you know, physicians, right? So the people that you already have an existing relationship <laughs> with, they already know you, that sort of thing, right? So that's one. The next one is what we call the uh, the active seekers. So these are people that are specifically looking for a solution, right? I'm a cardiologist in the community. I have a patient who needs a uh, a cardiac transplant. Like, how do I get them there? Right. So that's kind of the second bucket. And then the third bucket is the engageable afflicted. And the terminology may not be the best, but essentially what we're talking about is who are people that have a given need that would listen if you talk to them about a solution for that need? If if we're going to talk about um, cardiac or organ transplant or things like that, we're really going to find ourselves in that third bucket with these engageable afflicted folks where they have a challenge. They may not be thinking about how they solve for it, but they're going to listen to it. So what you do there is use the next framework, which is people have to know you, they have to trust you, and they have to want to work with you. That's basically brand awareness. People need to know that here at Saint Somewhere, we offer organ transplant, right? So that's kind of goal number one. Goal number two is this idea of thought leadership. So they're going to have to trust that I know what I'm talking about. So we can produce content uh, that actually is about the latest benefits or the latest awards that we've gotten for organ transplantation or you know the top three things that refer you know, physicians need to know about organ transplant or whatever the case might be. So think some sort of content, right, where we're trying to give this out to people that may be potential referral sources. And then the final piece is your straight lead gen, right? So let's have a conversation. For something like organ transplantation, right, organ transplant, you're, you're probably not going to hit really hard on like, Let's get on a sales call about you, you know, helping me get some more organ transplants. But but you are probably going to build out an email campaign. So like I would structure this around, hey, you're going to do general brand awareness to an audience of people in our area that may have patients that could could be referred. So that's kind of brand awareness. Number two, we're probably going to put some content out there, again, specifically targeting these folks on you know, a white paper about the latest things that we're doing around organ transplant and then you're going to try and drive folks to an email campaign and that's where you have your like hey if you want to learn more about what we're doing we'd love to talk to you about you know some some case studies that we have from recent recent past and that sort of thing and that's how you initiate those kinds of conversations and all of that can be automated and then someone only intervenes once you see that hey there's an opportunity here for you know for a good human to human conversation
0: I love those frameworks that you described. I think that makes a lot of sense, Scott. And I'm glad that you you kind of shared that, you know, with with our audience. It clarifies, I mean, we're we're using digital marketing in ways now for different audiences, for those physician audiences. And that that's a natural logical extension. I wanted to ask you one more thing before we uh, wrap up today's interview. We're in the middle of a pandemic, right? We're going to continue to be in this kind of world where digital kind of leads. We don't have the luxury of rounding on physicians in the kind of the old school way. So it's kind of forced us into this digital space. But as we kind of migrate out of the pandemic, however long that might be, I don't think digital – as an outreach channel, is ever going to lose its importance? If not, it may have risen up to the importance of a uh, you know an in person encounter, so to speak. Do you see like the future of this to be like a hybrid moving forward?
2: Yeah, I do. And and that was actually um, so a lot of the work that we were doing at uh, Medtronic that started the work that we're doing today with um, with Gyrus was exactly that was figuring out how do you create man and machine working together to to improve the outcomes that you're looking for. And so absolutely, we're going to end up, we're in a world today where digital is incredibly important and face-to-face will grow as we're able to get back to being face-to-face. But the reality is this is never going away and this is the new world. And so where I think the most evolved health systems will go or providers will go is they're going to understand that there's some tasks that are always going to require a human being. And then there are other tasks, and I would I would argue that there's probably a lot of them that are more easily and more effectively automated. I think the organizations that are going to be more successful going forward will be those that can that can tie these two things together. How do you make sure that you're you're offloading all the manual and low value tasks to an automated platform? And therefore, how are you elevating the human component to really just be on those things that are that are most valuable? I think that's what the world looks like. You know, you know, going forward is this sort of a, a a match between human and and computer.
0: That is the true promise of technology and digital, and certainly that shouldn't leave any of those people that are involved in physician outreach efforts. It shouldn't make them nervous or anxious that you know they they have to learn these new digital tool sets. It's just it's a compliment. It's an add on to what they do. Scott this has been a great conversation people maybe want to in- connect with you a little bit more and learn a little bit more about you and your company what's the best way for them to find you online
2: so if you want to find out about uh, gyrus micromarketing which is you know the, what we've been talking about here is the website there is uh, physicianmicromarketing.com. it's all one word the other way is to uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn or just shoot me an email it's Scott at gyrus.solutions. So gyrus is uh, J-A-I-R-U-S dot solutions. Hopefully, uh, you know, some some folks are going to have some light bulbs going off. I just love this topic. And so if anyone wants to connect and chat about like, hey, what's going on in, in your neck of the woods and what are we seeing? I'd welcome those kinds of conversations because it's it's a ton of fun.
0: Well, we will definitely link to all of that in the show notes for sure. So people can connect with you. Thank you so much for your time today. And uh, I really appreciate your insights. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. Well, I appreciate
2: it. And I look forward to having another conversation soon.
1: Uh, Special thanks again to Scott for coming on the show. This is a topic that we haven't honed in on specifically in a while. It's been a part of episodes, certainly. And And those types of things. But uh, so it's a neat topic, great topic, and uh, appreciate him uh, coming on the show. All right. We are now at the part of the show where we talk about where we're going to be next. Well, where we're going to be next is the Healthcare Internet Conference. And we've talked about this for a while, certainly. And uh, this has been one of those that's been on our calendar for years. Uh, We find ourselves there each and every year. Well, there is here or home. Uh, because it is HCIC at home, right? Right. What are we doing this year? You and I are going to be, as part of the agenda, doing a live
0: podcast recording. And we're going to be featuring a very special guest. And we're going to be talking about some of the things that we're learning at the session, but also kind of doing some predictors of our own to what the future state of our industry will be like. And so we get to look into our, our crystal ball, so to speak, right? Yes. To see what's in the future. And that's always a fun time to do that. So excited that we're going to be there. Go out to uh, HCIC's website at graystone.net. And from there, you can kind of click through and make sure to register, and you'll find our session happening in the middle of the conference, and it should be a really good one. There's a lot of other great things happening at that conference, too, but definitely check us out.
1: There you go. So we will actually be presenting uh, at uh, HCSC. So here we are. In effect, as much as anybody is, I guess. So uh, no, it would be fun. It'll be a lot of fun. So very cool. All right. What recommendation do you have today?
0: Reed, I'm going to recommend a podcast that um, I've been listening to. It's kind of fun. It's not one that I, I subscribe to on a regular basis. You know, I don't listen to every episode. Uh, but it's called Switched on Pop, which is a, a podcast uh, done by Vox. And it's where a musicologist, Nate Sloan, and a songwriter, Charlie Harding, talk about music and how pop music works today and where the influences are and it's just really interesting and i the first time i listened to it was a couple of uh weeks ago when they did four episodes around beethoven's 5th and they talked about its implication and why when you still hear the very famous da 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 and how it resonates in today's pop culture now just recently over the last two weeks they came out with a whole nother little mini series it's about sports anthems uh, songs played at sports anthems so reed when you think about like music that's played in big arenas to get the crowd riled up what are some songs that come to mind
1: there's a bunch because uh, a little known fact i was the director of game operations for a minor league hockey team so i was in charge of the music and actually played it there's we will rock you uh, if you go to the NBA, the, the Bulls made famous the Alan Parsons Project uh, during their intro. Those songs are called Jock Jams. They actually go
0: into all of the different types of Jock Jams and even the role that ESPN had nice. in advancing that. And then they do a whole episode on We Are the Champions by Queen. Very nice. If you like music and you're into just pop culture and you like just very different iterations, I recommend it highly. It's called Switched
1: on Pop. Very nice. Very nice. I am going to recommend something off of Amazon. Uh, I needed a pair of camouflage pants for Halloween. It's a long story. Didn't want to spend a lot of money. Went to Amazon, bought the Amazon brand. So Amazon has their own brand of clothing called Good Threads. So I got the Amazon Good Threads Men's Slim Fit Stretch Canvas Utility Pant. I've now bought three other colors. They're great. It's the cheapest pair of pants I've probably bought in quite some time. <laughs> and uh, man, they're, they're awesome. They're, they're great pants. I think I also bought a t-shirt, actually, a solid colored t-shirt. And so Good Threads by Amazon, surprisingly uh, really good clothing. Um, and it's, it's great for just, you know, kicking around and that kind of thing. So, okay. I'll have to check that out. Well, there you go. Another episode in the books, episode 197. So thanks for tuning in again. We would appreciate it if you would, uh, spread the word, tell a friend, tell a physician on your outreach efforts about this podcast. Uh, matter of fact, rate, review, subscribe while you're at the website, touchpoint.health sign up for the TPS report. Weekly email comes out every Monday. Uh, It's got five stories in it, curated by our show host. So anyway, great way to keep up with industry news. So for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.